Welcome to Canthropod, the Cambridge Anthropology podcast. This is episode 10, an interview with Richard Werbner by Joe Philp. Siela tadi hakitswarwe, hakitswarwa ke sumula diata, hakijewe ke sumula lechano, ke farwa ke sumula di rope. The fetus of thunder, I cannot be handled. If handled, I slip from the hands. If eaten, I slip from the mouth. If cuddled, I slip between the thighs. Professor Richard Werbner reads a verse in Swana and English from his new book, Divination's Grasp, African Encounters with the Almost Said, which looks at divination in Botswana. My name is Joe Philp and I'm a PhD student in social anthropology. In February 2016, Professor Werbner gave a senior seminar at Cambridge entitled The Poetics of Wisdom Divination, Renewing the Moral Imagination. I caught up with Professor Werbner after the seminar to ask him more about the book and about divination in Botswana, where he has worked for more than 50 years. I began by asking him what attracted him to the study of divination. If I scratch really the back of my head, I find that um, the big impact on my own growth as a young anthropologist was being the student of Paul Radin. And Paul Radin, who in turn was uh, one of the students of Franz Boas, had a very great concern that the intellectual culture of the people we studied should be given full recognition. And so he wrote books uh, with now the awkward title uh, Primitive Man as Philosopher. He wrote a um, he recorded a great trickster epic, and he recorded the medicine uh, rituals of American Indians, all to register the intellectual reflections that people had. So I find that uh, divination brings an expert together with a layman and brings to bear in the expert's guidance of the layman a richness of intellectual culture, poetry, imagery, moral ideas, values, as well as what seem to be uh, apparatus that seems to us to be working very mechanically. But uh, there's an engagement with uh, the archaic, the arcane, the ambiguous, that uh, recreates uh, life that people have experienced over very long periods in their history. And I think that's the attraction to me. It's the intellectual culture that is rich and resonant in divination. In the book, Werbner pays close attention both to the nuts and bolts of divination, what he calls its microdramatics, and to the interpretation of the verses that accompany the lots, what he refers to as its micropoetics. Here, he describes the basic apparatus of a typical seance. With this form of divination, there are uh, two kinds of objects. The first are very standard tablets, like dominoes, with marked and unmarked sides, and uh, the, the minimum set is of four dominoes or lots, which generate 16 possible configurations. But then there are another more complicated set, you could say, that has two tablets and two hoofs, and outcome 64 permutations. 
um, and then our associated verse. So each one of the uh, uh, permutations of these tablets and hoof uh, tablets um, has its own uh, epithet, uh, its own uh, characteristic qualities of temperament, and its associated verse. So it's, it, as it were, the tablets are like a catalog to index these verses. And they're so arranged in relation to each other that one could be seen as the flip side of the other. So the diviner works with a matrix of verse. It's all uh, connected. So it's not random poetry, but each verse has a variation on the others. And, and what I try to bring out is that the art of the diviner who's on top of it is an intertextual art who works with combinations and permutations and can keep telling somebody, well, what you saw here had an absence of these and other these things. And that's why it's coming forward with that, making the person engage with the logic of a matrix. But the person who isn't learned has only a little bit of it and doesn't have that uh, command. But in addition, the other part of the apparatus for the diviner are bits and pieces that are not tablets, but we call them dice, in that um, uh, there's a set of bones uh, that are like body icons. So one side of the bone would be one side of the person, and then you could have your belly, and, and so on. So there's a corporeal field, a field of the body, that is presented through the objects. As Werbner shows in the book, Swana speakers consult diviners for a number of reasons, ranging from the everyday to the more existential. There's a range from dealing with an immediate affliction to something which is much more long-term. So, for example, the, a, a diviner, as on the cover, uh, has a clientele of mothers with babies having small uh, illnesses and difficulties, and he's very expert with herbs. I haven't brought out that each one of these falls has uh, an, an access to uh, pharmacopoeia. And this is very characteristic of divination forms that have had some contact with the Arab methods, that they uh, access plants and herbs. So one consequence would be that the diviner uh, says to his young acolytes, uh, get this and this and this and quick and dig up that and that and that and it's mainly roots that are then and he mixes them and you see in the book uh, him opening out his bag uh, to get so for for some people although they go along with the issues of the moral problematics more, more than anything this mother wants the, the herb that she knows he can help it'll ease the baby's tummy in addition to these kinds of practical prescriptions Werbner also emphasises the intellectual journey on which both diviner and client may embark. In contrast to forms of so-called talking therapy, Werbner explains, in divination the client often holds information back and lets the diviner get to the heart of the problem. Although Werbner talks of divination as part of an intellectual culture, he is emphatic that the practice is full of ambiguity of what he calls if and maybe and the almost said. It's the if and maybe and the conditional quality that one may get a bit of truth, but
but it's truth on balance that one is reaching with this. And that's why, in the subtitle of the book, I grabbed onto a phrase from Philip Larkin, the poet laureate, who wrote about um, the almost being said. I left the being out and just had the almost said. In particular, the poetry or verses which accompany the lots are often cryptic and pregnant with ambiguity, and their interpretation poses problems, both for the diviner and his clients and for the anthropologist. One can have uh, uh, in a divination uh, two people with rather very different experiences of what's happening. So a husband and a wife come. The husband may, uh, for example, be from the village where the divination is held and the wife from another place. And um, uh, they hear and they take part, but they come away with uh, thinking, well, he said this, and then the other one is saying, yes, he said that, but maybe he meant this. So uh, there, there's a, um, a post-seance reconstruction and reinterpretation. There's what happened then, and one or other may be following it very carefully up to a point, and then have got what mattered. However, Werbner suggests that the cryptic and ambiguous quality of the verses is actually something of a strength. One could say that um, it's an accomplishment of a great kind that it has the, uh, the divination apparatus and the divination practices have this uh, flexibility, this way of bringing in many different things and um, a lack of finality about it and yet decision making, uh, which is very paradoxical to me, very, very challenging uh, about it. I, I, I do say that uh, because there's a layering of uh, something displayed visually with something that is said and almost said, there's a tension between the micro-dramatic and the micro-poetic, uh, constantly being worked off. And it's a skill of the diviner to be able to bring them into a fusion. Some diviners are more successful at that than others, but they're all aware that the clients might be looking superficially at what they see, the, the display of objects that seem to show hostile and friendly forces, differences in gender, differences in age, uh, seniority, uh, situations where people are all together or there's an absent person of great importance. All these visual things are easily caught by people, whereas the, the poetry is challenging. Werbner emphasizes the way that divination seances can have an afterlife with the client, who might continue to ponder the meaning of a seance long after it is over. But the seances also seem to have had a long afterlife with the anthropologist himself. Werbner clearly came to have an enormous appreciation of the complexity of divination poetry, and he describes himself in this sense as a victim of the diviner's success. What, what also uh, attracted me a lot was that I failed to, to grasp things myself. I, I, I felt how it was, I wasn't catching it, I couldn't. And uh, uh, with one of the diviners, that uh, figures in the second part of the book, over a nine-month period, um, I had an assistant who was born in the village, 
his father was a diviner. He had very good command of the language, uh, which I would never have any like that. But um, he, he couldn't unpack it all. And we struggled, both of us, back and forth. And then there would be these moments when uh, the, the diviner would get us to understand how the metaphor unpacked, what it, all its pregnant ambiguity could be, be caught. And the pleasure of that was tremendous for me. Uh, and uh, if you enjoy seminars where there's sort of argy and angry, but it is, is that something of that that I have to admit uh, captivated me. In the book, Werbner also uses the techniques of literary criticism to examine the formal features of the poetry and to show how they are able to achieve some of the effects that they do. The use of these techniques, he argues, allows him to go beyond the exegesis of his interlocutors. One isn't limited only by the meaning given by the people. One has to deal with that and take it very seriously and make it accessible to the rest of the world. But don't stop there carry on and then maybe the dimension that is part of facilitating what's going on will come out more. That's the challenge I take up and I see it as one that um, if I look at another one of my teachers, Vic Turner, um, he, he couldn't accept that the Monica Wilson uh, perspective was the only one where what, what they told you, their exegesis and their tradition of exegesis was the limit. So he then begins to say, ah, but they don't see that in looking at the Muji tree, they're bringing together value and sentiment. So he allows um, Voloshinov uh, or um, other Russian formalist critics to, to give him a guide to something that he'll say beyond and he'll put his neck in in it. And then there are anthropologists who say, ah, no, no, you can't do that. In addition to using terms derived from literary theory, Werbner introduces two other ideas in the book, moral peril and the moral imagination. The term moral peril describes a situation that leads a client to consult a diviner. One thing that divination foregrounds is the distinction between the visible aspects of everyday life and the occult, what is hidden or beyond the everyday. This distinction, Werbner argues, is at the heart of Swana social life, and one central purpose of the seance is to uncover the hidden causes of moral peril in a particular instance. One refreshing thing about the book is its insistence that African understandings of the occult are not limited to idioms of witchcraft, malevolent spirits or evil intentions. In part, divination's grasp is offered as a critique of witchcraft studies, and is an attempt to recover alternative ways of thinking about moral matters in African anthropology. One problem, Werbner explains, with the literature on the modernity of witchcraft, is that it forecloses other possibilities. It lost some of the understandings which were so important here in Cambridge because of Maya Fortas's work on piety and his appreciation that um, people were uh, constantly linking themselves to past generations and had to attend to the pressure of the dead as a presence in the living. And um, this neglect of ancestral wrath, this neglect of a whole lot of perceptions that people have of 
how they deal with the interconnectedness of their lives. Uh, I, I, I thought it was a bad, I mean, a weakening of a strength in anthropology. So for that reason, I, I look to have a concept that would embrace the, the range of uh, occult relations. Werbner suggests instead that it is better to think of the occult as a spectrum. Uh, the malevolent attack, the, the antisocial uh, uh, occult, is perhaps at one end of the spectrum. But along through others are uh, aspects of failure or sin or neglect and conduct that the person has to put right. Yeah. And sins of omission. Of, of sins of omission, of. sins of commission. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and often the person is half aware of it becomes powerfully aware of it in the consultation. During the seance. Werbner argues that diviners and their clients activate a moral imagination to get to grips with such situations, drawing on the micropoetics and microdramatics of divination. Here he discusses what he means by the term moral imagination. I'm still not sure how I could put the problematic in a packaged way. I feel more as the diviner who's reaching hasn't quite got it under grasp, but I think that the openness of it is extremely important. And uh, I start with a bit of a clue from the work that uh, interpretive anthropology that, that Gertz and Beidelman did, where um, both of them, in their different ways, were understanding that there's... Uh, and a way of thinking of the world differently from the way it actually is. It, it's not the everyday world as encountered, and it's not the experience that one completely has, uh, that you'd recognize as your experience. But it's, again, to repeat the word, a world that has fantasy and imagination, imagery, um, alternative to the world. It's a different world than the everyday. And that is where the, to my mind, the moral imagination comes in. It's uh, making felt that uh, there, there is some something yet to be caught hold of, and it makes claims of a moral kind. But I try to engage with the moral imagination that has a bit of uncertainty about it. And yet, it's challenging one to think about what is good. Yeah. But the truth may yet escape us. Intriguingly, Werbner also suggests that the book might speak to those interested in forms of therapy beyond the specific context of Botswana. We now live in a world where many, many people, if they can afford it, want to get someone who will uh, shape their inner beings and be able to become more than a guru but will listen to them endlessly talking about their complex inter engagements and entanglements with themselves and others and um, come out relieved. We, we, we are a, a part of a world now where the notion of a talking cure is taken for granted. One way or another, one method or another, it'll work, and we'll talking cure. So perhaps 
my book now will not fall on deaf ears. <laughs> well, Professor, Professor Werbner, thank you very much. <laughs>